Welcome to the Grad School Femtoring Podcast, the place for first-gen students of color to prepare for grad school. This is Dr. Yvette Martinez Fu, and I will be serving as your femtor, providing you with tips and tricks and everything else you need to know to get into and successfully navigate grad school. For over 10 years, I've been helping first-gen students of color get into top grad programs in their field, and I'm really excited to support you on your academic journey too. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Grad School Femme Touring Podcast. I am, I always say I'm really excited because I genuinely am really excited each time, but I have another um, amazing guest. It's actually my first guest for 2022, so it's also my first guest um, after my move abroad, so that's kind of nice. Um, and we, this person's going to be talking to us all about personal brand design and the business of personal development. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and read her bio. Our guest is Dr. Lauren Mason Karras, who is the VP of Learning Design at Penny AI, a global SASS tech company where she designs, and I hope I said that right, SASS, <laughs> or is it SAS? SAS, yeah. Okay. <laughs> First. Uh, so a global SAS tech company where she designs learning strategies to increase performance, improve user experience, and lead a culture of learning. As a self-identified intersectional Jutina, first-generation academic and first-generation technologist, Lauren is no stranger to living on the margins and questioning her sense of belonging personally and professionally. She uses her own experiences and scholarship on identity formation, social belonging, and learning science to inform user experience improvements and help her mentees across sectors evolved from imposter syndrome to defining and refining a strong personal brand. Yay, welcome to the podcast, Dr. Lauren. <laughs> Happy to thank have you. you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's really exciting. This is uh, apart from the day-to-day -day work that I'm doing, uh, you know, in my in my role that you just described, this is my first engagement of 2020. So yeah, here I'm we are. So lucky. <laughs> We're so lucky <laughs> to have you. Um, so I'm going to have you start off the way that most of my guests start off. Um, I typically ask them to share a little bit more about themselves, their background, their backstory and educational trajectory. Sometimes I know folks, sometimes I don't know folks, sometimes I think I know them and then I find out more about them. So um, please uh, share, you know, whatever it is that you're comfortable sharing about your background, your trajectory, you know, personal, professional. Go ahead. Cool. All right. Well, I'm going to anchor this actually in the way that you and I came to know each other. Oh so my goodness. Yeah. And in fact, it's such a pleasure to, uh, to be here and to participate as a guest, um, to see you in, in your element and to see you shine um you know bringing great work to uh to the students that you engage with and to the future professionals really um you know that resonate with your message and why is that important well because you and i met as a mentor mentee relationship <laughs> yes. um, so back in the day uh when i was uh, actually in my graduate program at ucla i was in applied linguistics and i personally was looking for a home 
I was looking for a network and a community of like-minded and and like experienced um uh intersectional humans um where i could actually find support and community and also give back to providing support and community throughout my personal experience and i found that home through dr latanya reese miles shout out um, to lt <laughs> i mean she's like the anchor that connects us all right of um but uh yeah i i and i came to know her through actually some of my um it wasn't work study because i was in graduate you know in my graduate program but it was the work I was doing while I was studying. Um, and I, I worked with her husband actually at the um, Office of Instructional Technology at UCLA. And he told me about his amazing wife and I saw her at events and I was like, oh my gosh, she's just so inspiring. Like, what is her deal? What does she do? And uh, yeah, she got me connected with the McNair Scholars Program and I applied to be a mentor. And um, that experience of actually applying to be a mentor was the first time in my graduate career that I started to really unpack and reflect and question and come to understand my place in academia. It was a different story as an undergrad, but as a graduate student, that was the first time in the first community where I could explicitly explore um, those intersectionalities. And it was also through that experience that I was your mentor. I, know. Um, so, uh, I don't <laughs> know if you because I, I share the story about that. I, I share the story usually um, about applying to McNair and how hard I worked and how much, you know, I came and got support and you were the person that was giving me that support. <laughs> yeah, and so it's, for anyone listening to prior episodes, they can be like, oh yeah, here we go. <laughs> and it's funny because then I didn't end up getting into McNair, but, and yet I feel like there's this ripple effect because I did end up getting into the Mellon Mays program. And so I can feel like there's definitely that connection. And um, it's thanks to the support of folks like you, folks like Marissa Lopez, who became um, my, my faculty mentor that truly believed in me. And then LT continued to mentor even the folks who didn't get into McNair. So that's like, that to me is really meaningful. The fact that she gave back um, even after like folks like me didn't get in, uh, we'd reach out, we'd ask her, you know, for support, for, you know, in input, feedback, and, and she was always there. So yes, that's, that's that was how, we met. I, I distinctly remember coming to you for guidance, for support, and you were just, you never made me feel like, even though I was brand new to research, like I didn't belong or like my work wasn't good enough. And, and I believed in, you made me believe in myself enough to apply because it felt like such a big deal. It was such a new program for me back then. So thank you. <laughs> oh my goodness. You're so welcome. And I have to say for all of your listeners, it's um, I think anyone who goes into any kind of mentoring work or teaching or engages with people who are at an early point in, in their own personal journeys to see them grow and evolve. I can't tell you how many times, well, you could probably look at statistics on uh, social media, but <laughs> that so many times you lit up my feed, um, oh, you know, oh. with excitement because of what you're doing and how you're progressing. And I felt so honored to be like, yes, I played a small role in that. And I'm so rooting <laughs> for you and here we are. So, you know, the power of mentoring and mentorship, yeah. I think is so powerful, obviously, as you know, 
uh, grad school femme touring goes. <laughs> and it's so interesting because then it was another one of your femme tees that recommended you to the podcast. And I was like, oh my gosh, I know her. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Yeah, so it's a small world. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah so uh, big nod to Stephanie there. Yeah, um, I was going to say shout out to Stephanie. <laughs> Yeah, so yeah. Um, we brought you here or you came on here to talk a little bit about personal branding. And I feel like this is a, a really good time to talk about it at the start of the year as people are kind of like setting intentions and setting goals and um, thinking about their work and how it applies, you know, both within, you know, most of my listeners are undergrads interested in grad school or current grad students trying to navigate academia and thinking about their options, their career options. So I think it's kind of really relevant as a plan, as they set their short and long-term goals to think about this topic of, of branding and um, personal brand design and just kind of introduce these concepts if they're new to them, um, to yeah. the listeners. So I'd love to hear your input on on that, like what, um, for folks who aren't aware, like, can you tell us a little bit about what is personal brand design and what does it mean for, for folks in, in grad school or considering grad school? Yeah, yeah. So um, branding and the concept of branding actually comes out of marketing. Um, and so if you look, uh, you know, quote unquote, in industry, um, businesses and uh, products, and in some cases, in your case, Yvette, you are the product, right? <laughs> you are producing a podcast as a support for individuals, but it is you and your connections and you are the product. And, and so the brand, right? And, well, and that's exactly what I was going to yeah. say was you have to actively work to brand yourself, mm. right? What is, what are the values, um, you know, that align with your personal brand? What are the interests? What are the boundaries, right? What are the um, talents and skills that you want to highlight and feature of yourself? Just as if you were working on branding of, let's say, a, a popular like physical product like a Nike shoe. Right, a Nike sneaker, you know, has specific values and specific um, design and specific things that it is not. Right, you're not going to find big old tacones um, on, a, you know, on a Nike sneaker that you're going to, you know, wear, you know, to. I'm thinking of examples and then I'm finding a counter example every time, which is why I'm like, well, maybe you would want to wear them under a quinceanera dress because it's more comfortable. I don't know. I've but, seen that. But, but the point is, you know exactly what it is and isn't, mm -hmm. right? And I think um, for anyone that's early in their career and particularly for first generation uh, graduate students, because we are constantly questioning our personal identities and constantly being evaluated about who we are and how we fit in, as much as we are questioning that ourselves, it becomes this really murky space. And it's not until now, later in my career, outside of academia, that I see the value of really intentionally jotting down and crafting, just like you do in vision boarding, just like you do in you know, aspirational um, goal setting, what is the brand that I aspire to be, right? Forget the job title, 
Forget the number of scholarly articles that you're going to write. Forget the journals that you're going to be a part of. Like, apart from all of that, when you strip that all away, who are you? And how do you present yourself? And how do you want people to know you? And um, I really have to acknowledge, actually, one of uh, the startup before Penny AI, which was Find Your Grind, um, a really transformational um, curriculum that was about getting to understand yourself first and really doing that work to explore what are my personal values, what are my personal interests, what innate talents and skills do I have? What are the things that people always compliment me on? Like forget and shut out the noise around you, but really do that reflection and consider what you want to, to adapt and evolve into, right? So without it being a self-limiting belief, without it being a reductive strategy, like I'm not able to do these things, like just acknowledge who you are, what you value, what you bring to the table and how you want to evolve into that. And these exercises really are so powerful then in turning off the extra noise that or, or the the questions or the um the questioning of yourself the doubts um that i think really trickle in and sometimes hold us back you just shared so much and um and i feel like this is all new to me i mean this is all just as of uh, maybe two years ago i started thinking about this and even just recently, I've been trying to be more intentional about it. And I don't think that most students in college or even in grad school, depending on their program, but I feel like most students, especially if they're first gen, especially if they're students of color, they, they don't necessarily get that information of like, be intentional about who you are and what your values are and what you're good at and what your brand is. And sometimes branding itself can seem like a like a negative thing, like it's a hyper capitalistic thing. And um, maybe that's why they're going towards academia, although it's capitalistic in its own way. <laughs> but I'm wondering, mm -hmm. so I think that that the, the term that stands out to me and that I use a lot is that term of kind of being intentional because for so long, some of us have been receiving this mess these messages of like, doing what other people want us to do of people pleasing uh for the perfectionism the following kind of a safe track or whatever they think is like the career that's going to lead them to to be able to pay their bills and live the life that they want but it's i found myself in the conversations i've had with my own friends my own family that not a lot of people actually sit down and have that conversation of like who am i like what yeah. do i value what do i believe in like what do I stand for? What are my strengths? And the, then the limiting beliefs sometimes come up too, where it's like, well, I don't know. And, um, and so I'm wondering, like, how can we um, make it more tangible? You, you mentioned, like, how did you learn? I want to know, how did you get to, to even to the point where you're at now? Because you started, you got your PhD. And um, remind me, you were in... Um, you were in the social sciences, got your PhD. I'm not sure if you went the tenure track route or if you knew right away, right after graduation that you were gonna be kind of pursuing something outside of academia. 
Yeah, so I didn't know. I really didn't. I gravitated towards, um, frankly, opportunities. So you could say it's opportunistic and it's, you know, whatever, capitalistic. But I think, again, a lot of us that are socialized in a way to be rewarded for what we are doing well. And those of us, you know, it was my personal experience uh, living in the Imperial Valley in Southern California in a very agricultural, socioeconomically, um, you know, I, I'm going to say a de depressed environment where there are not a lot of opportunities. Right. My number one goal was to get the hell out of there. I and know. it was not just the social economic environment. And it's no knock on, on people who are successful. And my, you know, my peers who grew up to have wonderful lives there. It was also a product of my personal family life mm -hmm. and uh, the product of, you know, I'll, I'll be really transparent here and say that I my father was incarcerated for a period of time like you know money success opportunities those were all challenges and mm -hmm. you know drugs and addiction were really you know a part of my environment not me personally but just like it affected my family and um it's taken me a lifetime to you know come to a place where I can get like over that and not let that be my brand, right. not let that be my story, right? Wow. But I, I share that because I sought out those opportunities. Where was I getting funding? Where was I getting accolades? Where was I getting recognition? And that for me was important. So when I think about my values, recognition is important. Mm. My personal brand, it is important to me. And if I find myself in an environment where I'm not getting that recognition, and by the way, it doesn't have to be like hoot and holler, you know, whatever I've learned, you know, how to adapt that. But that is important to me. Like words of affirmation are important to me. When other people <laughs> acknowledge my, my contributions. That's important mm -hmm. to me. I need to be seen. So academia was a place where I thrived. I was able to bring, um, you know, new insights to critical research on identity on a mixed identity that's where my research was was on you know language race um and ethnicity and how do people actively craft their identities wink wink their <laughs> brand right i think that's how we collect <laughs> yeah, it's that conversation you know, of identity formation and, and language and that's how exactly what yeah. it was yeah. And so I, I knew it well in the context of academia and what drove me to academia was wanting to make a big difference, wanting to have an impact. I was a, um, a teacher, a, an English language development teacher in middle school and got no respect because nobody cared about my migrant farm worker uh, children. And it was, they weren't going to take any respect from me at 21 years old, straight out of college, like, you know, who's going to listen to me. So again, looking for that recognition, right? And this is only after years of reflecting, like, what was happening? It was not. And it, I think it's important. Yes, we preach and, and support and want to remind people to be intentional, but it's okay to actually pause and forgive yourself for not being intentional until this moment. Yeah. And, you know, that a lot of this was me kind of like discovering and figuring out and fumbling. And uh, in grad school, in fact, when it got to a place where 
um, I actually took on responsibility for my nephew and brought him in, you know, to raise him. And both of my parents had passed away. Again, there was an economic driver and a stability driver that deterred me from wanting to further pursue tenure track positions. By the way, I was out on the market and I was interviewing for it and I was, you know, ready to pull up. But going back to my values and interests, I wanted to be stable. I didn't want to move around a lot at that moment. I needed to, to quiet and create this safety net. And, and I had that hunger and desire for, frankly, more immediate gratification. I wanted to work and get recognized for the work that I was contributing and bring my research into an applied space where it could have impact faster. And that was a driver for me to leave academia. You know, um, I feel like uh, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to envision grad student listeners right now. And um, I'm also trying to think about the moment in time that we're in, um, thinking about, you know, what people call the great resignation. People are thinking about transitions, about change. And I think that a lot of people will resonate with you sharing about wanting more stability, about wanting to be able to provide for your family, about want, desiring something that maybe possibly would not be a possibility or maybe not right away within academia in terms of like not wanting to move around a lot, not wanting to adjunct, you know, certain things that sometimes become the norm. And so um, I still, I feel like I, I still want to know a little bit more. How do you go from, from linguistics to a, working for a tech company, like for folks who are interested, they're like, well, I, I'm in the humanities or I'm in this. And they, it seems like a field that wouldn't directly yeah. apply to, to yeah. tech, to user experience. How, how did you make that leap? I'm, I'm yeah. just it, it wasn't, it wasn't overnight. So, you know, my, my jump from academia into quote unquote, uh, you know, industry was actually moving to work for an online learning university. So it was Laureate universities. It was global. There were hundreds of thousands of students. We had staff all across the nation. And it was actually another Latina graduate student who told me that her husband worked for this company. She was like, hey, if you like want to get into it, you have a skill set going back to brand, mm -hmm. right? You have a skill set. Um, part of applied linguistics in my graduate program was language, uh, language teaching and learning and curriculum development, right? So curriculum writing, curriculum evaluation, assessment development, those were all skills that I had acquired in my graduate program and had been actively working on research. That's not like the fun research around identity that I was mm -hmm. doing, but I found really important ways to, to interleave those and talk about, you know, in some of my research, how they impact each other and, and advocate for uh, bringing them together, but being able to apply that in the curriculum development space. And that was just at the beginning. I mean, you should look back at some of the emails I got from my faculty advisors. Like, I can't believe you're leaving all of this, oh. you know, all this guilt. Like you, I believe you because I've been there. For you could do so much for us, you know, like you're the Latina scholar that could totally transform all of this, like blah, blah, blah. And I was like, yeah. And I also like, can't be living on these loans anymore and not making money. Like I'm raising a family now. And, 
it didn't happen, you know, in the way intentionally maybe that I would have crafted my future life, but this is the reality. Mm-hmm. And um, being able to move really quickly in that environment, I went from a curriculum writer to then a manager and then moved into a director role because my value is hard work and recognition. <laughs> and I did everything I could to understand the system and to see what system I am working in and where I could provide value and how I could mentor team members. And that's where I found a lot of gratification was in those leadership roles. But I learned the business of online learning. I learned the business of curriculum development. I learned the business of, um, that was, you know, back in 2011, 2012. So online learning was still the devil. I know this was like before it was the norm to work remotely to do things online I got so much shade because it was a for-profit company Mm. and all this and that and I was like you know what but they have a social justice agenda like everyone who goes through these programs are social justice scholars looking to make an impact in their community you know so again really resonating with these like marginalized stories about some industry right cut to then working for uh in in program design at CSUN and I was working with the continuing education program then moving into working I got um recruited for Western Governors University who that's where I got an opportunity really to get involved in the tech and in tech development and program development and user experience design. How is it that students know what they need to do and it becomes intuitive for them? How can we redesign these experiences? How do we, you know, just a lot of questions around supporting users as students or students as users in technologies and then getting swooped up by tech companies like, hey, you've done it in these big places, help us deliver it in this space. And then ed tech companies, and now eventually outside of education, a tech company who's looking to bring learning in because even software companies and other products are realizing, whoa, our users are also learners. How do we help them learn? our tools and learn to be better professionals or better, you know, uh, in their role through the best strategies and tactics and, and what. So it's, it's a, you know, curated looking at those opportunities, finding ways and where they fit and resonate with my brand, my values, my interests, my skill set but also importantly, identifying where there's some gaps or opportunities for me to grow. So it was never about the title. Mm-hmm. It was never about the, the brand. It is about the brand of the company that I work with, but not exclusively. Like I'm not going because I want to be a you know, Western Governors University person. No, I'm going because I like what they have to offer and that can help my brand, right? And keeping that sort of, people talk about professional distancing or that Mm -hmm. emotional kind of boundary, right? Like, no, this is me. This is what I am offering. This is what I'm looking to achieve out of it. This is how they can help me grow. And the second you find that that gap is too wide, then looking for where you can rebrand yourself, where you can find brand alignment with a different opportunity. And it's the nature of how the world of work has changed so much so much. 
I, I do think, you know, that we're there now. It's, it's also the future, but we're there now in, in many ways. You mentioned so many, I feel like, um, terms that may be new to some of the students, but that uh, just remind me of the many ways that academic skill sets can be translated into industry and other um, career options. You mentioned ed tech, you mentioned uh, so ed tech companies, you mentioned user experience. Um, I'm thinking also, you didn't mention this, but like project management is a big one that's common. You mentioned curriculum oh, yeah. design, like project management, like you managed your entire dissertation and committee <laughs> and you've taught and you, I'm thinking of the things that grad students mm -hmm. typically do. That is, in and of itself is a kind of project management. Um, those are all options. It's just about knowing what they are and how your skills translate in that way. And then, like you said, at, you know, it's really, really important to try to align yourself and try to align your personal branding with whatever it is that you pursue, but not necessarily, I, I mean, I, I personally wouldn't necessarily want to enmesh myself and my identity with, you know, the company that I work with, because um, that's kind of what happens with academics, <laughs> start to well, complete. Yeah, and, and, and really keeping that boundary of who am I and how do I fit and serve and who are they and how do they fit and serve me and it's a very different way of thinking because um, I don't I won't speak for your listeners or for you even but I'll say for myself there's an emotional wrestling with is that too capitalistic. Is that too opportunistic? Am I like falling into the trap of all of these other people that I don't want to be like, you know, by, you know, setting up those boundaries, like those of us that have been in service roles, whether it's in our families or in our communities are, are almost hardwired. Like we've rewired our dopamine hits and our serotonin to, to celebrate then when we are getting, you know, that uh, when we are serving. And, and it is this, like, we've got to like, that's where the quote unquote work comes in of this constant mm -hmm. evaluation and constant, you know, um, reflection and constant, when people say rebranding, it doesn't have to be an overhaul, right? It doesn't have to be like, okay, now I'm no longer going to wear purple because that's not part of my brand. Um, but like, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> It's funny because purple is part of my brand. <laughs> well, I know, that's why I said that. <laughs> right? But, but on a very superficial level, you know, when you think of product or, or marketing or website rebranding, sometimes it, it's the color and, and that takes a lot of work, but I'm trying to apply that like to us. It, it can be at these different levels and it can be incremental. In fact, it should be a constant, you know, evaluation. And so... I think in grad school, we're often taught to think about our curriculum vita, mm -hmm. right? And, and, and for newer academics, I would say even for newer professionals, at least for me, it's like, how many things can I pull into this? And these long lists, yeah. <laughs> right? how many skills can I say that I fit with? Like you mentioned project management and all these things that do apply, but let, let me just put all of them here and you end up like washing out the true brand value. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, but that's great that you do all of these things, but who are you? How do you fit here? Who do you want to be? And, you know, really years of, and I think a lot of people can resonate with the great resignation and being on the job market, whether it's academic or not, trying to fit 
with some description that's out there and you compromise so much of what you truly offer, right? And it's, it's an art to refine over time and to figure out like, okay, how do I, how do I show that I fit, that I'm a good fit? How do I present myself so that I am attractive to this job, this opportunity, this whatever, the world, whatever, right? But without compromising the values um, that I have, without compromising my real interests, like, yeah, I'll do that for a little side project, but I don't want to do that forever. Well, then take note and remove that from your personal brand. Remove that from your CV. Right. Remove that from your social media bio. Like, yeah, we can all do a lot of things, but who are you yeah. and who do you want to be? It's interesting because we're not taught to remove, or I wasn't taught to remove things from my CV in my experience in grad school. I also wasn't taught to say no to things. <laughs> I wasn't taught to be intentional about the things I said yes and no to. Um, and I was taught to just be grateful for anything that I was offered. Um, but it's, I, think, I think that's a common, I, I think it's the way a lot of us have been socialized to be. Mm -hmm. And it's reinforced so many times by the people that love us it's no you know it's no shade to them like my mom over and over would be just so excited and like yes we'll go and do it and you know you get these and you want to honor them and you want to honor others and you know and take those opportunities but who's going to advocate for your sanity right. and for your you know you are the only one that can identify where you are compromising your true value I, I was wondering if you could expand a little bit more on, um, so we said we're going to talk about personal brand design, but also the business of personal development. So you, you've mentioned the word business a couple of times. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, when I would think about business before, before becoming a solopreneur, I thought of it as, um, you know, this is something that's just over there for the folks that get their MBAs and for the folks that are, you know, going into industry or the folks that want to make a lot of money. I don't want to make a lot of money. I just had this association of business as bad, making money as bad, when in reality, it's what you do with it that could be good or bad, depending on how you interpret it. So I would love to hear more about kind of your take on business, business of personal development and why kind of it's, it's useful for folks to think about that. Yeah, um, I'll start by explaining that one of the first engagements, like the first conscious engagements I had with quote unquote business was when I was um, doing some adjuncting at the Anderson School of Business. Oh. <laughs> I was I was uh, teaching classes to support international MBA students, uh, fully employed international MBA students improve their communication skills and improve their spoken English in order to evolve in their professional development. And there is this giant light bulb that went off like, I'm over here struggling. Mm -hmm. And these people are like benefiting from my value, mm -hmm. right? Now, obviously they were paying for me, so I'm not like mad about it, but I'm like, what? There's a whole business to this. And 
again, from humanities and social science, not being socialized, and also as a first generation yes. you know, student, mm -hmm. not being mm -hmm. socialized ever to think of the economic value or the business model that's being presented. So that was my first orientation. And it, again, took years because it was new to me to really learn about it. Um, cut to my experience working at Western Governors University and also for Find Your Grind as a startup, both of those experiences specifically required me to explore social emotional learning and the curriculum of social emotional learning. It just so happens that there is a whole industry of self-help that overlaps with social emotional learning. And it can get very fuzzy. There's the there's, you know, the research and the science and the curriculum behind it. And then there's this whole like you know, talk about Venn diagrams, the other circle that starts to overlap, which is the popular um, field of self-help, right? Uh, not formally trained uh, gurus and guides and, you know, teachers and facilitators. And you see a lot of it emerge in the wellness industry as well, right? Well, good, better, and different, that's a topic for another day, they have mastered the business of professional development and self-help. I guarantee any one of your listeners and you and I both on our social media feeds will find a number of individuals that have monetized the value of their insights mm -hmm. to help others evolve. And that alone is a, is not a bad thing, right? I mean, it's, it's actually in this time of economic transformation where we're all shifting to understand new economies and play in them. I was going to say that's a little of what I'm doing. And I'm seeing a lot of my own like women of color, mother friends kind of going along that that route. Like I used to think about the sorry, I'm, I'm going a little bit on a tangent. No, I know we're kind of cutting it close on time, it's, but it's not a tangent, I'm thinking though, about the pipeline. Yes, I'm yeah. thinking about like the educational pipeline, the Latinx educational pipeline, the Black um, educational type pipeline. And I used to think, because I've done research on mother scholars in, uh, you know, in academia, mm -hmm. mothers of color in academia. And I used to think, oh my goodness, like it's terrible that as, and it is, it is terrible that as you move up kind of the ladder, you see fewer and fewer, more, more people are leaving. And I used to think, well, you know, they we should try to keep them, keep them. But then I, and then I thought about how many of them actively decided to leave or were pushed out um, to pursue other options. So, you know, just, just from my own experiences and also doing a little bit of reading on, on just kind of the rising numbers of women of color, black women, entrepreneurs who are doing their own thing. I feel like, yeah, a lot of us have found a way to to make a living out of what we know to support others without necessarily having to rely on other institutions um, yeah. to, you know, to put a value on our labor yeah. or, mm -hmm. or to dictate your limits. Right. And yeah. so it is the, the rise of the knowledge economy and, you know, women of color and, you know, other intersectional identities claiming space in that economy and you know the research that i've done around gen z 
um, and the research that I've done in the world of work, what you described in academia is a microcosm of society because you yeah. see the same patterns across industries. There's yes. either a lack of or they are leaving. So the question mm -hmm. of why are they being pushed out? Why are they not valued for, you know, for that knowledge economy and the really critical role they play in um, being a model in, in younger people being able to see themselves in that future state and being attracted to it and, you know, therefore attracting, you know, the new generations of, you know, whatever pipeline that is. Mm -hmm. And so these are, these are patterns that are across industries, across sectors and, um, you know, Gen Z and I think late millennials um, mastered tapping into uh, free access for that. So why do you think TikTok, YouTube, uh, you know, all of these knowledge spaces have found, are getting rewarded, right? So it may not have been an intentional monetization of it, but they are getting rewarded because of so many views to then be paid for, right? It's, it's these interesting kind of cycles of where the attention is in the attention economy, right? right. So anyway, we could, we could talk a ton about these like shifting economies, but, um, I think what what you were talking about noticing people leaving is my point was it's not unique to uh, academia and I think it comes because when we look critically at our personal brand and recognize whether it resonates or does not resonate with the environment or the context or situation we're in if we are intentional about what we want to create, then the choice is yours, but the choice is obvious too. Like you got to move on. Right. And that that's so hard, but I also think I'm, I'm glad that we're having this conversation because it's going to allow individuals to also be more mindful about what they're consuming and how they're consuming it and in what spaces and platforms they are doing so. Um, and then to think about that for themselves too, if they choose to create their own, you know, their own content or, or be active in, in these types of platforms. I, I want to get close to kind of wrapping up. I know we only have a couple more minutes. I want to kind of honor your time, but I wanted to ask you if there are any other words of advice that you want to share, you know, for first gen students of color, any um, closing words, anything that you wish you would have known had you been an undergrad or in grad school about this topic of personal brand, um, brand design? I think um, the, so I'll start with what I wish I would have known. Um, and, and I wish that I would have been supported to explore more. Mm. Um, I, you know, in retrospect felt like I had to have a goal, even if I didn't love it and didn't see myself there, I had to like make something up, right? And and commit to it. And I think there was not enough tolerance then. I, I really support now exploring. It's something that I try to do with my kids. Like you don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to have it figured out once you're like working. Like it, it's not an end. So two things to that, explore more and really be forgiving of yourself to constantly evolve. I, I feel like, you know, all the research around identity formation is that it's an evolution. I was writing about it. I was researching it. 
same thing, same thing, even in teaching and education, I was right, I was doing it, but I was not applying that to myself in the true sense. Yes, an idea like I'll continue to evolve and grow and whatever, but like evolve into what? And what if we explore some of that? Those were just not available to me. And so I hope that your listeners and and your you know, uh, community and you going forward can support each other to explore more and yeah. really be patient about the evolution. Okay, one, one very last, last question. I promise you this is the last one is if folks resonated with you and want to connect with you in some way, shape or form, how can they reach you or connect with you? Yeah, um, I think LinkedIn is the most easily accessible um, it's also the best way to see the evolution of my personal brand. You can look at some of the um, bookmarked posts that I have most recently that capture my journey. Um, you know, other social media feeds, Instagram is relatively private. Um, Facebook, I'm rarely ever on. And Twitter, uh, I'm more of a consumer and a resharer than, uh, but you can still find me uh, if you Google my name and, you know, look it up there, but, but LinkedIn is where I'm most active. Great. All right. I'll make sure to share the LinkedIn um, information then. All right. Well, thank you so much, Lauren, for coming on the thank podcast. You. And yeah, thank you. I learned a thing or two. I was like, okay, <laughs> I'm going to re-listen, take some notes because this was really, really good. I'm so excited to release it um, and to have had the privilege to share kind of space with you today. So thank you so much for it your is- time. It's my honor. Thank you. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much for joining me in the Grad School Femme Drawing Podcast. If you liked what you heard, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts or email me your review at gradschoolfemtouring at gmail.com. You can also show your support by going to gradschoolfemtouring.com and joining my mailing list where you'll receive weekly tips, podcasts and blog updates, as well as discounts for my digital downloads, online courses, and much more. One last thing, don't forget to follow me on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Until next time.